0: Most people would describe a desert as a vast amount of land with little to no available water. However, deserts are not exclusive to dry land. What other kind of desert are we talking about? Stay tuned.
1: A marine desert is a place in the ocean that's largely devoid of life.
0: This is Science, Scripture and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Deserts are hot, dry places which are either virtually lifeless or teeming with an abundance of plant and wildlife. While deserts can also be frozen wastelands of treeless plains, the type of desert we'll focus on today is neither dry nor frozen. So, what is it? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we go underwater and explore deserts in marine environments. Dr. Gary Parker is an ICR biologist. And director of the Creation Adventures Museum in Arcadia, Florida. He tells us about barren ocean regions.
1: A marine desert is a place in the ocean that's largely devoid of life. Uh, you know, a lot of people we're land lovers, so we see the ocean from along the shore and we're used to seeing lots and lots of critters, you know, in the just offshore and seeing people fish, you know, offshore and around islands and things like that. And so we don't realize all the time that out in the deep ocean, there are often huge amounts of water with hardly any living things in them at all. Uh, not even the microscopic forms of life, the uh, plankton that form the base of the food chain, often they're absent. There's plenty of sunlight for them, but not enough nutrient. So not enough minerals get washed up from below the The minerals in the bottom of the ocean are too far away to be available to the plants. And, of course, without the base of the food chain, then there's nothing to feed on the plankton that isn't there. So there's no little fish for the big fish to feed on. And the result is a marine desert, a largely uh, lifeless zone in the ocean. Now, there are fish, and there are other forms of life there, but typically they're in transit. And so a marine desert is something that fish will swim through to get from a point where there is a lot of food and nutrition from one such point to another.
0: Dr. Dennis England is professor of biology at the Masters College in California. He says deserts, whether on land or underwater, exist because of the lack of natural resources.
2: Basically, in any ecosystem, many times you have what's called a limiting factor. It is something that they need that basically isn't there or isn't there in sufficient quantity. Well, in this case, great expanses of the ocean lack sufficient nutrients, in particular phosphates. Have you ever noticed that in the tropics or in the Caribbean, people go there and they talk about the beautiful, clear water? Well, the reason it's clear is because it basically has very little of what we call phytoplankton. These are the algae that form the, the base of the food webs of that marine ecosystem. And so, in essence, it's basically dead because you're looking straight through the water without anything blocking your view. So it looks pristine. What happens is the particular nutrient called the phosphates are lacking in these environments, mainly tropical waters, tropical and some subtropical waters. The protists, the algae in the water, they need, of course, carbon dioxide and sunlight for photosynthesis. But beyond that, they need nitrates and phosphate and other nutrients to build proteins, DNA, and other molecules. Nitrates are usually sufficient because they're readily soluble in the water, but phosphates many times precipitate out of the water, and so they're lacking. So those vast areas where you see the clear, pristine water are the marine
0: deserts. But how did these areas become marine deserts in the first place? Retired ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cumming explains that one way a marine environment becomes barren is when nutrients get used up and are not replaced because of ocean currents. When we talk about deserts in the ocean or in the marine
3: environment, we're talking about locations that for one reason or another have been isolated from a nutrient or a essential ingredient supply, and therefore they become a desert after they use up the residual materials which are there naturally. This is true of the area of the Atlantic Ocean to the east of Bermuda, where we see a great expanse, about 2 million square miles of water that are occupied in the midst of a whole gyrus of currents, oceanic currents. There are currents that flow down the eastern side of the Atlantic Ocean and then across the ocean to the Caribbean, then up along the coast of Florida to Maine and across Labrador and recirculate down by England. This tremendous set of circular currents isolate this gigantic inland or in-water location of the Cycaso Sea. Therefore, this eddy, this location in the midst of all these currents, becomes isolated and, in time, becomes impoverished in terms of nutrients and access to a refitting of the nutrient cycle that would normally be in an oceanic environment. Sargasso
0: Sea, then, becomes this gigantic desert. However, nutrient-deprived areas in the ocean aren't the only kind of desert we find in the deep. Dr. Parker explains.
1: The other type of desert in the deep ocean or in even some really deep lakes or inland seas is a lack of light. And so there's really hardly any organisms living there because there's no light uh, for photosynthesis from food manufacture. So you have to have both nutrients and light for plant cells to make food. And if they're not making food, then you've got a desert. Nothing else is living there. And so light only penetrates the ocean to a depth of about 600 feet, or roughly uh, 200 meters. And boy, oh boy, that's not very far, you know, compared with the depth of the ocean. Now, it's pretty far compared to right along the shore. But as soon as you get down very far, there's not enough light for plant growth. And so, uh, you know, we have a desert for lack of light.
0: But even in the deep, dark desert regions of the ocean, there is life. And it's amazing how God created certain organisms with the ability to survive in this type of system.
1: There are a few things that cruise through and live in this desert, just like there are a few things that live even in the Sahara or the uh, Mojave Desert. A few things can handle it there, and they feed on, in the case of the marine desert that's dark, they feed on uh, detritus, organic material, waste products, dead things that drift down from above. Many of the inhabitants of this really dark zone, the aphotic or lightless zone, actually have luminescent bacteria that can manufacture light chemically, and they use that to, uh, you know, recognize each other, you know, for mating purposes, and also sometimes they use it to lure prey, you know, in the more closely, or to just find their way around.
0: Other areas in the deep abyss where life exists without sunlight are places that have a unique heating system. Dr. England explains how hot ocean bottom vents allow living things to survive in a seemingly hostile environment.
2: If you look at the hydrothermal vents in the ocean floor, you have a lot of organisms not undergoing photosynthesis but chemosynthesis drawing their energy from sulfur compounds instead of sunlight. It's really quite interesting. They will appear around these vents, and then when the vent dries up, they disappear. But then they reappear somewhere else. There's just so much volume there that we just have not seen, have not explored. Probably easy estimation, over 90% of it we've never seen. And what we're discovering is that there are life forms, but their needs and what they supply is
0: different. Bacteria are a good example of this type of life form, and they've been known to survive just about anywhere.
2: Bacteria have been found in the very depths of the ocean, different depths of the water column, and they've even been found in the atmosphere, way high in the atmosphere where we wouldn't expect to find them. And the big question is now, what mechanism has God given them to survive there? Because again, a lot of the nutrients like the phosphate in the open ocean waters is not that abundant because a lot of it precipitates to the seafloor and is brought up by upwelling along the coastal areas. But out in the deep ocean, there's a real lack of the phosphates. But there are bacterial forms, and they appear to be more abundant than we realized. So the question is, how are they surviving and how are they acquiring phosphates for their metabolism? And uh, right now, we've got more questions than we've got answers there. But again, it's a show of God's grace.
0: Dr. Cumming would agree and says these marine deserts, as well as those on land, testify to the wisdom and power of the Creator, who gave certain creatures the ability to survive in places of such limited resources.
3: The issue here is that in all living systems, wherever they are, on the land or in the water, They all have a complement of materials which allow them to consist or exist and develop. But in certain places, like the Mojave Desert and the Sonoran Desert and other deserts around the world, we see that there are locations where the limiting factors of water, possibly even nutrients, become the constraining factor for whether organisms can grow and live there. So when we think about the deserts of the ocean, we think about this issue of God's creation to create unique organisms that can inhabit the locations wherever they might be. High alpine situations of mountains, low depths in valleys, oceans, depths of the oceans, frozen locations. God is built into the genomic
0: materials Of his creation the capacity to adapt to these locations dr. Cumming adds that while God is concerned about all of his creation what's most important to him are people
3: with regard to God's plan for man it's important to understand that God has given us instructions about what the purpose of our life is is to bring glory to God and that if in this life we don't come to an understanding of our purpose and establish a relationship with the Lord, then we can be isolated and we can be permanently separated from the very creator that created us for a purpose of having fellowship with him eternally. That means that eternally we could be with him or eternally we can be separated from him. And when you go to these desert locations, you find that it's not a pleasant location to be in. It's always subject to some limitations of the moisture, or of food and sustenance, or of well-being, or for variety. And in those locations, it's pretty miserable to exist and to have fellowship with somebody in such locations. In such situations, we have a Savior that allows us to come to Him through a confession of our faith in Him that will restore that relationship of isolation that we can become his sons and daughters and establish, reestablish the relationship that he intended at the very beginning of the creation, that we would have eternal fellowship with him
0: in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org.